This is the Power of Genetics podcast, the podcast designed to help visionary practitioners build a more successful practice, transform more lives, and lead their patients into the future of personalized health. In each episode, I'll interview successful practitioners and leading thought leaders who will share their insights and expertise to help you prepare your practice for what lies ahead. I'm your host, Dr. Yael Jaffe, and now let's get into today's episode. A very good morning to Dr. Michael Stone. I have known Dr. Michael Stone for, I believe it is 22 years since I started out working in a small genetics company called Sayona in Boulder, Colorado in 2000. So very warm welcome, Dr. Stone. Well, thank you, Yael. It's a wonderful opportunity to be here and just to chat. Boy, the world is changing, isn't it? Oh, man. Isn't it just? Yeah, we just started the conversation with that, right? That there's a different world out there. And I'm going to call you Michael because you're that kind of Dr. Stone, aren't you? I feel a little bit weird calling you Dr. Stone. Oh, no. Michael is it. And Yeah. <laughs> Michael is it. And if you forget Michael, my initials are PMS, but that's a whole nother story. <laughs> That's right. You're Peter. Is it Peter Michael? Yeah, it is. It is. That's right. Peter Michael Stone. Of course, I remember saying that. All right, let's just stick with Michael then. I think <laughs> that's probably best. <laughs> so I have known of you and about you my entire career in genetics. And going back to the early, early days where, you know, there were like 100 people or so at an IFM conference, you were one of the first people to probably do a Sona genetic test. You were right there at the beginning with Sona. You also are a work colleague, a friend, and long-term colleague of Dr. Ruth DeBas, who, of course, was my mentor. You know, we wrote a book together. We worked together at Sona. So we go back a really long way, and I'm just always delighted in your presence and in our conversations. You always bring that slightly lateral, kind of wacky angle into to thinking, always challenging me. So I really wanted everyone to get to know you a little bit more. I'm sure they're going to see that wicked sense of humor that I'm talking about. But, you know, who are you? Like, where did you come from that you landed up in this kind of Ashland? Is it Ashland, Oregon? Having this amazing clinic, working with your incredible family. But where did it all begin? Well, that is a great question. And I would have to say that the inspiration to go into medicine and actually go into nutrition the inspiration of that was, first, my grandmother, who was a, a dean of the Department of Home, Home Economics. And when I was at Washington State University and her husband, who died tragically in a plane crash earlier, was the dean of the College of Agriculture. So because our family always did a lot of processing of food and we always did, a, you know, we didn't have a lot of means, we were always kind of close to the earth. You know, I worked on a farm. I helped harvest corn and berries, move irrigation. And you also got to see the people who migrated from all sorts of different places to help harvest the food. And they taught me to pick. Two Hispanic women taught me to pick with both hands. And so I soon became one of the fastest pickers in the whole area. But it made you close to the earth and close to the people who are bringing you food. And from crop picking to a farmhand, I was asked to clean the migrant camps. And the same women that taught me to pick 
five years before were there with their families in these migrant camps when I was cleaning things out or the doctor who inspired me in this small town of less than 3,000 people. I saw him at a migrant camp seeing somebody gratis. And suddenly it was community, community at all levels. And it was that that inspired all of us and really the heritage of the family to see people, see them where they're at, hear their stories, understand the pressures they're under, understand that here are people who are these workers who are moving thousands of miles from the season with their children. And when they left, I sat there with a hose and sprayed out their camps. And I just, it made everything really close. And it made me and my family want to care. And then by the time I was in college, I knew I wanted to be a physician from an early age, but I didn't understand fully why. But I was studying zoology and my grandmother, Mon, said, you know, why don't you take a nutrition class? And before long, I was in a master's program. I was a women's and children nutrition volunteer. And suddenly I was back trying to help immigrants from Ethiopia and Sudan and El Salvador, trying to help them understand what foods were available in the WIC program for their children so they could gain weight. That was all before medicine. And so it was always about nutrition and food and community and extending yourself before it was about medical school. And as all of us who work with people, all of us who have empathy in those situations, there are people you remember as really being pivotal in your perspective. We go forward to medical school. Well, I shouldn't even go forward to medical school. So the other Dr. Stone, our first date was junior, senior prom in high school. <laughs> and it's a long-term relationship. <laughs> yeah, 40-some yeah, years ago. She wanted to be a vet. Okay. I wanted to be a physician. She volunteered in psych wards during her undergraduate years. And I said, you spend a lot of time volunteering with humans. Why don't you be a human doctor and then we can get horses? <laughs> and, and that was really important because in all honesty, how you see the person. I first met her, two of her sisters who were admitted to a mental institution in high school. And they have severe mental illness in their family. And so what drove Leslie through most of her career was trying to fix her sister, trying to figure out what were the genetics, what were the neurotransmitters, how can we look? And so that's been a very entwined journey, right? And so we're always a question of asking the question of why, what else, can something help? You know, there are people in your family or maybe you who's had a health condition and you know there has to be a better answer. And so that drove us, that just drove us to looking more and more and more. And it drove us through, you know, rat studies and it drove us through all these other things to suddenly we're in medicine. And then what are the things that pulled you even farther out of the algorithms? Well, and then I'll stop in this story. I was taking care of a person in Seattle at the medical center there as a, and he was a homeless individual who sprained his ankle. And I just said, 
you know, I'd like you to go home and I'd like you to put on this walking boot and elevate your leg. And I'd like you to put on ice packs. And he goes, you have no idea what you're talking about, do you? And I was shocked. And I said, well, what do you mean? He says, you have no idea where I live. And I looked at him. I said, you're right. I don't. And he says, do you have the guts to see where I live? So at the end of this shift, an all-night shift, I walked down, walked down to the waterfront, met him on the corner. There he was with his walking boot. And we walked over to a dumpster and he threw the top back. And there was his backpack. There was his dog. And that's where he lived. He said, so tell me how I'm supposed to take care of my ankle. And so no matter where we're at, no matter where we're at, no matter who we're talking to, to be an active listener and figure out where they're coming from. And then you may have a huge long report of abnormal lab work or abnormal or genetics that might help. But where are they right now? And what is it? just one thing that they may need? And so that's a little bit of a summary. That is beautifully said. And it doesn't surprise me because I think... Um... So for those that don't know, Leslie, who Michael has referred to, Dr. Leslie Stone, is one of the most extraordinary gynecologists, functional medicine specialists in the country, and has really challenged the whole paradigm of what kind of prenatal care is. And not only Leslie, but your daughter, Emily, as well. And one thing about the three of you that comes through so strongly and so clearly is empathy, all three of you. And humility. And so hearing you speak now is not a surprise to me at all. But having the context of it is really beautiful because, of course, I only met you when you were already in the functional medicine world. And so, you know, not having the context of his background and knowing, you know, seeing the three of you and seeing the kind of practice, the way you engage and teach and has this incredible empathy and humility to it. So you really have built something extraordinary, the three of you. But maybe share with us how. What was missing for you at medical school that sent you on this journey into to the functional world? Or And we can allow, Les, I mean, I hope one day Leslie will join me on the podcast and she can tell her own story. But just for yourself, you know, what did that journey look like? Yeah, it's a great question. So I was an adrenaline junkie, okay? I When I went in medical school, it was ER. It was ER, ER, ER. And I did that for a long time. I did ER at night, rural places, 400 miles from the closest place, 60 miles from the closest place where you were in charge of that golden hour. So I was an adrenaline junkie. And I was also a family physician. So I trained babies, did surgery, did all this stuff, right? But we worked in small towns, 60 miles from the closest stoplight, 3,000 people, 2,500 people. And you watch the same patterns over and over and over again. And you watch the same issues over and over and over again, never breaking through to get to the root cause. And after seeing it for many years, you kind of ask, well, what else? We got to get down to the nitty gritty. We got to get down to understanding why or how somebody is sick. So there are two things. First of all, in way back in the last century, about 40 years ago, this coming summer, uh, Leslie and I were on the Thai Burma border at the headwaters of the River Kwai. And my job, I was only a beginning second year medical student. My job was to do a nutrition assessment on 253 orphanage kids. 
And how was I going to do a nutrition assessment where they had two hours of electricity, they had a hand crank centrifuge, we had a hanging scale. And so we set up basically a so they could point to the amount of food that they ate and what they were. And what I realized that everyone on this call, you have some of the same gifts that Hippocrates had. You have the ability to see, you have the ability to hear, you have the ability to feel. And from the information that you have, you can see patterns. And it's seeing patterns that we sometimes lose track of in our algorithms of medicine. And so coming out of that experience and helping taking that information and really help get to the root cause of some of those children's problems, which was inadequate amount of nutrition, we were able to take that information and get funding for the nutrition program for this orphanage for five years. Amazing. I'm kind of smiling because one of the things I have worked with you on is you came to South Africa, you and you came to South Africa and you ran a part of, I think it was an IFM program where you were teaching clinical nutrition assessment, just using eyes, ears, and hands. And that's what you taught us. You taught us how to do a nutritional assessment without blood tests or genetic tests or any fancy testing. And I still remember that very well to today. It was an incredibly powerful program. Right. And so what's amazing is I came, we came back from Thailand. And the first question the University of Washington professor asked me is, did they do the genetics on the malarial mosquito there? And I'm going, <laughs> yeah, two hours of electricity and hand crank centrifuge. And we, yeah. we held x-rays up. Are you kidding me? What do you mean genetics? And so suddenly I'm here holding a genetics report from from uh, three by four about myself, which is phenomenally illuminating. And it's like, wow. Okay. Come on, <laughs> Right. So the age-old question I have is, and what moved us toward functional medicine is we're watching these patterns time and time again. And we were in a small town, so we saw three or four generations of people. And we were primary care practices, so you could see the same issues over and over. And how could we get around to finding out if there was anything we could leverage? And that leveraging point that tied nutrition and medicine together was in 1998 going to an annual conference, suddenly being in a room filled with 300 people who were talking about how to help the patient with their uniqueness, utilizing the concepts of functional medicine. And suddenly it was all about the patient. <laughs> it wasn't about me or the lab test. It's how can we move somebody from point A to point B? And so in 1998, entered a transition, <laughs> came back, ping, came back from the first applied uh, functional medicine clinical practice course. Okay. And I was in the ER and I started doing functional medicine out of the <laughs> urgent <laughs> of the ER. And I ordered my first stool analysis on a patient from the small town who had nicknames suggesting he was crazy. And he had two bacteria that were driving his inflammatory process and changes neurotransmitters. And you know what? We treated that. He'd been suffering from that for 15 years. We treated that. And suddenly he was invited to the home of his daughter and grandchildren. And he had the first dinner with them. Okay? It is that. 
It is that that convinces you. We don't need many experiences like that for each of us to be inspired to move on. It doesn't take many experiences of having somebody who's had multiple miscarriages and you address the nutritional genetics pre-conception or early in the first trimester and they're holding their first baby from their first completed pregnancy after three previous miscarriages. You don't need many of those to learn the power of looking through the different lens, the different lens of functional medicine to see the person and ask the questions, how can I help? What can we see? What can we bring to the table? How can we encourage them through coaching or through nutrition to change their physiology, to change their reality, to change their life, to change their destiny? For the person who's had multiple miscarriages and is in depression, to hold their first child, you have changed generations. Generations, not just one person's life, but yeah. You've turned to community. You've given the grandparents purpose. You've given a worker, somebody who lifts out of out of a place that is dark. It is just the power of these different tools, the power of your training, the power of you connecting, the power of your empathy, the power to see is truly every day can change a life, can change a trajectory. And often it's just bringing that caring and then it'll take care of itself, you know? I'm just trying to think, like, you've had such an incredible career. You've had such a great impact. You're an incredible educator and teacher. You travel all around the world teaching. You have this beautiful practice in Oregon with your family. Like, what is out there still that you would love to achieve in this world of medicine or nutrition? Like, if you could still have one big impact, change one big thing, what would that be? And I know you weren't prepped on this, so you... You have to just, it's off the cuff, <laughs> but it's a good one. That's a great question. And one that I struggle with, actually. I want to grow up and be like Yale, who writes some books and get some of that out. Very funny. In all honesty, I think I'll always be a teacher. I think just generally, even for grandchildren and children, I just want to inspire people to look at the intricacies of the beauty and creation. And I do that through my photography. Stories or insights are key. So I need to bring some of those things out. I think what's going to change, we have a wonderful family. Emily, who's in nutrition and the Grow Baby program, and daughter, Lindsay, who's family nurse practitioner in Alaska, working with the tribes up there. A son who's trained to be a trauma surgeon. Lucas, and uh, oldest son, who's a financial planner, who's convinced that every primary care clinician should have a retirement program, which is probably a really good thing. That's probably true. And I would say the inspiration that will probably, in the words of, uh, I've been told by Leslie that you are never going to stop, are you? Is that really teach and inspire people to recognize that point by point gratitude Point-by-point decisions will change and influence your imprintome. I love that. And your imprintome will change and influence generations, not just of 
your child, but it looks like multiple generations, maybe six generations. And so for us, how do we inspire the activities that change how those genes are expressed? And we've focused so much on nutrients, but should we focus additionally on relationship? Should we focus on sleep? Should we focus on gratitude? Should we focus on singing? Should we focus on joy? Should we focus on dancing? Should we focus on the things that actually bind us together? Because it changes our imprintome, which changes our epigenetics and changes our health. And I have been so blocked in the algorithmic world of medicine and this, not that. What about this? And if we can inspire clinicians to look in the mirror and be able to look at themselves, really look at themselves and say, what can I do today that brings me joy, that allows me to laugh more, that allows me to lean down and pick up a child or go on a walk, be inspired by the birds who do not care about COVID? Or, or listen to the rustling of the leaves in the trees and let that frequency of life in the world change you. The earlier that we can do that, the less burnout, <laughs> the more we're able to let go of things that are traumatic and let in the things that are a blessing. I guess that's part of my message being on this side of the gray hair. And being on this side of autoimmune condition and being on this side of a destiny that I still not sure why my destiny was changed from a three-day-old that coded that was the doctors encouraged my parents to send me to Florida Children's Academy because I was going to be blind and deaf that changed my destiny from going to the Child Developmental Mental Retardation Center, uh, being told I'd be a D-average-loving garbage man. It wasn't my genetics or my situation that changed that. It was everything around that that changed that, that allowed more synapses to connect and more synapses to prune. It allowed me to go from somebody who carried a drool cloth to me to somebody who was doing triathlons. It inspired the change and the resilience that all of us have in us that have different leverage points that can be inspired by the people around us and by the caring that we receive that changes our phenotype. And that is why I don't know if I'll ever be done teaching or asking the question why that has changed. How was I so able to be surrounded, not to be sent to Florida Children's Home. And how was it that one strong parent said no, and people gathered around, and grandmother, who was a head of home economics, would come, and how was it? And when do we bring that to the people in our life? How can we help that mother? How can we help that father? How can we help that child? Do we have eyes to see? And if we have eyes to see that each of us can change 
the small fragment of the world or help that small fragment of the world in which we're blessed to stand in. Wow. <laughs> I mean, that's incredible. And I think, you know, your story now and is a real reflection of my journey of the last 10 years. You know, when I started off in genetics, it was all black and white. You know, it was SNP. That was our world, right? Yeah, snippity-da, snippity-da, snippity We still love SNP, but we understand the context of where they live. And I'd say my greatest epiphany is very aligned with yours. And, and it's been wonderful, you know, in the last five to seven years, where I lived in this world where it was SNPs, black and white SNPs. You had it or you didn't have it. And then there was this idea that, you know, you use nutrition, you use genomics, you know, to kind of fix things. And then I had this amazing slide where I have this, person inside and I have the word epigenetics and I have like 15 different images around showing how absolutely every single thing in our lives, every minute of every day is impacting the way our genes express. And I always talk about connection and hugging and love and sunlight and water and hiking. And then of course, the more negative ones, you know, the exposures and everything, how Every single element of our world and how we exist in that world will determine how our genes express ourselves. And when you take our early education on SNPs that inform and give insight, and then this incredible new knowledge base of understanding how we exist in the world and how the choices we make are so powerful. And I always say, you know, it's never too late to change those choices because just, as you say, singing out loud, plunging into a beautiful uh, river going hiking in the mountains, hugging someone, loving someone, is going to change gene expression. And that changes our health journey. So I think you and I had a very similar journey in terms of understanding, coming from this more like black and white, two-dimension world, into understanding that we could bring together this kind of the beauty of the world and nature and people and connection into our world of kind of medicine and genetics. And that's been my experience. Oh, that's brilliant. And you can tell that. You know, bringing a nutritionist with health coaching background into our clinic to help people understand and move and shift, it's making the knowledge accessible. It's not presenting a 1,088-page uh, printout of your 23andMe. It's not, it is connecting, it is empowering, right? So how can we empower people? Well, we empower people by helping them understand how food can epigenetically alter expression, helping them how food, relationships, stress can change their microbiome balance that be less inflammatory. It's how, you know, the example, uh, Leslie and Emily use all the time is Tai Zhao that, that is a 2,500-year-old understanding of pregnancy that when the mother puts their hand on each side of their uterus and thinks peaceful thoughts, and sings or hums songs and has restful sleep, guess what? The whole HPATG axis changes and actually the expression of those stress-associated genes change their activity just by doing that. So when we see that and we see that that child when it's born has a different uh, response to stress, when we see it has a different microbiome, when we see that it has less of the childhood diseases that are rampant in our in the United States, and what we're doing is we're asking peaceful thoughts, uh, humming songs, making connection, touching, touching, 
Yeah. Feeling that? Are you kidding? So, <laughs> so my comment is for anybody who listens to the podcast or takes advantage of the genetic testing and, you know, I did get the three by four report and compared to my Sionna report 20 some years ago, it is so much more accessible and doable. And it's done in such a way, in all honesty, that yes, I know my biomarkers. I know my health history. I see additional things and remind additional things that are choice points to improve things. And we're consistent with what I know about myself. And so that is powerful information that when people are in that situation where it is the right time to move them on their journey, it's powerful stuff. I was going to end off by saying, so where do you think the power of genetics is? But I think you did such a beautiful job. I don't need to ask the question. You kind of preempted everything. So um, Dr. Michael Stone or PMS, I love that. That's the first time I've thought of you that way. I cannot thank you enough for this very special time. It's always wonderful talking to you, but today I think we raised the bar. We raised the bar today. And as you get older, you get wiser. There's absolutely no doubt. Uh, <laughs> and I hope they take that as a wonderful compliment and no other way. But thank you, you know, so much for this special time. And I look forward to seeing you in person again sometime soon. It's been a while. We will make that happen. And uh, absolutely. blessings to you, your work and your crew. And um, we are entering an exciting time where when we merge our genomics with our understanding of how we can empower ourselves and others to change expression, and when we start, we're going to start layering in things about the printome, so you can start marking that, then yo howdy, we're yo, into howdy. a very good place <laughs> of really, we can really help people leverage and change the world and the future that they live. Beautiful. Great way to end. Thank you, Michael. You bet. Thanks, y'all. Thank you for listening to the Power of Genetics podcast, brought to you by 3x4 Genetics. For more episodes, please visit 3x4genetics.com slash podcast. And if you are a licensed health practitioner who would like to apply to join our network of over 1,000 like-minded visionary practitioners, please visit 3x4genetics.com slash apply.